This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. asked me that I should share a bit of my testimony, testimony and I, I want to make sure that this would not be the testimony of Jan, but it would be the testimony of Jesus. And uh, so I want you to hear, I want you to hear and to, to hear with that ear that it really, it, it wasn't one, it wasn't any of my doing really that I got saved. I, I wish I could say that I, I had a huge part to play in that and I wish I could tell you that I had this deep desire for God. But I, I, I had this emptiness inside but I certainly didn't know that it was a desire for God. Um, I, I grew up in a church and there was not, at first I thought it was something wrong with the church and later on I figured out that it was something wrong with me and, uh, so I grew up in a church, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. So I, I decided after school that I would not go to church anymore because there, there was no reality in it for me. And, uh, and in fact, I, I became so preoccupied with intellectual pursuits and, uh, and other things uh, that Christ and the pursuit of Christ was not really anywhere on my radar. I, I just knew that I wasn't being fulfilled in life and in work and even in my relationship in my marriage with Wendy. Uh, we got married and I wasn't saved and she was saved. And just in case some of you might get excited about that, that was a very bad idea. <laughs> that is a very bad idea. We struggled for years and years and years <laughs> uh, to rectify some of the stuff that I dragged into our marriage and... Uh, I'm so grateful to God that he has restored everything. Um, I had a fairly successful career, and and uh, but I felt there was something wrong in my life or something missing. And so I said to Wendy that by the end of that year, that would be, I think it was 1994, three, 1993, we were going to, I was going to resign and we we're going to go backpack in Europe. And, and so I could find myself because I, I thought I was lost. I was, but I didn't know how lost I was. And and then we got pregnant and all our dreams to go and backpack. And I just became more angry and more dissatisfied. And then a friend of mine phoned me and said that he's going to the World Cycling Championships in Norway. And that was my dream. And it was feel like, like everybody else was living their dream. And I was being, I, I was stuck. And uh, in that moment, as I was speaking with a guy over the phone, uh, the Lord laid on Wendy's heart that she should let me go. Now, hear me, uh, we weren't earning a, a big salary. In fact, we were struggling financially and uh, she was just pregnant. And here I went off on a holiday. It wasn't a pursuit after God. It was just holiday. And uh, so you can just imagine on both sides of the family, I was not very popular. Uh, but luckily my, li- my wife knew what she was doing and I was very excited about the prospect of finding myself. And, uh, so as the, as the plane took off, she prayed this prayer. She said, Lord, there, one of Jan's dreams is being fulfilled. Now fulfill my dream and my desire and save him. And, uh, I only later on realized that it was actually her fault that I got saved then. So, and that I didn't have as much fun as I thought 
I would have on this trip. In fact, I was so miserable after three weeks of the six weeks trip. I, one night at three o'clock in the morning, I phoned her out of Oslo in Norway and I said, I want to come home. And she said, no, you said six weeks, stay. And I thought that was very loving. And, uh, so I toughed out the rest of the three weeks and no inclination that I was seeking after God. I just, I want to get home. I want to get home. And I thought, I just want to get home to Wendy. And I wanted to get back to uh, my pregnant wife and just celebrate, you know, our daughter, Monia, which was sitting there. And and uh, so I got back home and and I said to Wendy, listen, we got to go back home quickly. We stayed in Oatshorn. So whenever we were in Cape Town, we would stay in Cape Town as long as possible and visit all our friends. And But when I got to the airport, I said to Wendy, Wendy, I, I want to go home because I feel like something's waiting for me in Oatshorn. And now you need to understand a little bit. Uh, Wendy grew up in a Pentecostal house and she often in our relationship, she would drag me to, to these crazy meetings like this. And uh, I must say, if you're not used to that, I want to salute you. You're sitting here. That's good. I usually lasted about five minutes. And I ran out and <laughs> began my rant and my rove, how crazy these people were, and how certifiably uh, they should be certified there's something wrong with them. <laughs> I remember distinctly one, you know, at Pentecost, over the time of Pentecost, you know, the Pia people, they really, I mean, the Holy Spirit really, they they go for it at their, at their conferences. And I remember I went with Wendy once and her, her grandfather was sitting next to me and he was talk, speaking in tongues. And I was looking at him and I pumped him with the elbow in the ribs and I said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? <laughs> I'm so grateful that the Lord didn't strike me <laughs> dead right there. I must say I was an incredible uh, source of faith to him. He said that he, he thinks that God can save anybody, just not young. Um, so... When I got saved for the rest of our time together, whenever he saw me, he started weeping. So I remember I was so irritated. I remember I was so irritated why, by him telling revival stories about Maltari and changing water into wine and a lot of stories. And I was just so irritated by it. And But I just couldn't stay away. And so I would... I would have all the arguments why God doesn't exist and why it doesn't work out for me. And so I came back from overseas and one evening I, I said to the Lord, oh sorry, I said to Wendy, I said, won't you run us a bath? And I used the words, I want to cleanse myself. And as I was saying, I said, that's weird. That's a weird word. Cleanse myself. And then I said, even a stranger word, I said, okay, and you can put on some of your music because she had her music which was Christian, and I had my music, which was decidedly unchristian. And, uh, but I mean, for me, if you would say anything about spiritual experience, if you would talk anything about the Holy Spirit, anything supernatural, I would just write it off as figments of your imagination. You know, it's, uh, it's a sign that you are mentally not there. You know, you are mentally unstable, and you're making stuff up. It's delusions of grandeur or and uh so i got into the bath and the bathroom light was off and the passage light was on and 
as I was in the bath, all of a sudden I was in another place. And at first I thought I fell asleep in the bath. And I remember saying to myself, Jan, don't be stupid. Go under the water and drown in the bath. That's not how you want to die. And then I realized, but I wasn't dreaming. Because when I wanted to be in the bathroom, I could be in the bathroom. But when I didn't mind, I was in this other place. And, and later on, I, I, I read about in the Bible about some of the stuff that I saw. And... Uh, so I thought, okay, let's see where this goes. I'm not feeling too too weirded out. And and I remember clearly I was sitting on a white horse and and we were going down a path and the path was like looked like paved stones and but then I looked closely and the paved stones were actually made of gold. And then I looked on my left hand side and there was a body of water which was very clear, and then I looked closer, and it, it wasn't water, it was more like crystal. And on the right-hand side, there were these huge creatures. I later figured out they were angels, but at that stage, I didn't, I, actually, I didn't even think what they were. And they were standing with, with silver trumpets. And it was some kind of procession, and there was a person sitting behind me on this white horse. And, and we went for a while, and then we came to a banqueting table, made sort of a right turn and there was this U-shaped banqueting table and we went to where I thought the head of this banquet would be. And still, I, I had no idea where I was. I just felt strangely at peace and even more strangely that I felt comfortable in the in the experience because that was previously that would have just freaked me out completely. And And then I came to to where the head of the banquet was sitting and, and I looked up to try and see who, who it was. But as I looked up, it just became bigger and bigger. And in that process, I, the person sitting behind me on the horse, he took me from the horse and, and then he said these words, Father, this is Jan that I've been talking to you about. Sorry, I was, I was, I was doing well tonight. I, I was thinking I was going to get through this. <laughs> I always think that I'm going to get through this, and always somewhere in this, in the retelling of the testimony, the Lord always takes me back into that place. And, and I remembered as a as a man that didn't really believe in God, but somehow believed in God because I usually told Wendy to pray when we were in trouble, and. <sighs> And I, I, I felt that if I was wrong, if there was a God and I would stand before him, that I would not be accepted. I, I, I always felt that I would be rejected. I always felt that I wouldn't feel like I belonged there. And I, I certainly wouldn't be loved. And it was exactly the opposite. It was exactly the opposite I don't think I've ever in my life felt that measure of acceptance ever and the measure of love that kept on. And I, I can't explain it in any other way that it, it was like waves. It was like waves of love and acceptance and amazing peace that didn't crash over me, but it sort of crashed through me. And in that moment, I knew 
that Christ died for me and that Christ saved me. And I remember Wendy came into, by that time she came into the bathroom. The bathroom was slightly dark because the passage light was on. And she said that it looked as if there was a light shining from my face. And in that moment, my wife, that was how many months pregnant? Seven months pregnant. Um, she knew exactly, she knew immediately that the Lord saved me. I don't know how she knew it, but she just knew it. And as a prayer of faith, she just said, God, take him now. I'll raise this child by myself. <laughs> My wife believed that God could save me, but not keep me. I am so thankful for unanswered prayers. And for the next for the next four to six hours, I was either broken down with sorrow for sin, repenting, and the next moment just physically feeling the, the forgiveness of God and God setting me free of everything that I could repent of, everything that I could, every bit of filthiness, every bit of clean, every bit of blasphemy, every bit of, you know, stuff that I did and stuff that I said. And then the joy of being forgiven. The next moment I would, from laughing, I would go to hysterical laughing. Uh, that was before Toronto. I'm not saying that I started Toronto. Okay, it's just. And the next moment there would be this joy of being forgiven, this joy unspeakable, this glorious joy that I've never felt in my life before. And then the next moment I would be crying and then I'd be repenting Godly sorrow leading to repentance, followed by incredible joy. And this carried on for four to six hours. I felt like, later I felt like, like a, a, a cloth that was wrung out. There was, I, later on I said to Wendy, Wendy, I think I'm, ha- I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. I, I think this is not normal. And, uh, what happened after that is that for about six months, I couldn't sleep for more than three hours a night. I would go to bed tired. I would get up about three three hours later and had such an incredible, incredible hunger for the Word of God. Um, from a man who didn't read the Word of God, all of a sudden, I just couldn't get enough of the Bible. I, I think I must have read it cover to cover about six or seven times in those, in those six months. For four, I mean... Uh, Slept for two hours the rest of the time I was, and I read everything and I watched everything Christian that I could give my hand, get my hands on. And some well-meaning Christian gave me a book. He came to set the captives free by Rebecca Brown. And I was for about a week so scared that I locked the doors and closed the windows <laughs> and wanted to go to sleep rather than read the book. But I was so hungry for God. I, there was such an incredible hunger for God and for more of God that I just couldn't stop there. There was an insatiable hunger. The more I read the Word of God, the more I wanted to read it. I struggled for six months with the whole issue of baptism because the Dutch Reformed Domini told me I've already been baptized and the AFM guy told me I should be baptized. And, and then I read the Word and I was so confused. And for six months, and I remember about six months later, one evening, one morning, four o'clock, I was watching the visual Bible by, that with, uh, Bruce Marciano playing Jesus, and, uh, at the crucifixion scene, 
all of a sudden it struck me the obedience of Christ. And I ran to my wife and I shook her. <laughs> said, Wendy, I need to get baptized. <laughs> she was like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and I was baptized and, and baptism wasn't, baptism for me was a sign, but it, it unlocked something in me, that step of obedience. All of a sudden, some of the stuff that I didn't understand in the word, all of a sudden I could understand stuff. All of a sudden I could read passages of scripture that I didn't understand at all and would just have an understanding, a basic understanding of the scripture. And uh, then a while later I, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. At first I tried so hard, but I was so scared. I was so scared that something humiliating would be happening to me if I received the Holy Spirit. And uh, I remember one night, uh, I was very self-conscious, which I thought was a virtue until the Lord showed me that it was just the inverted side of pride. I was more conscious of what I thought about myself and what other people thought about me than what God thought about me. And we were in a home group one evening and I was trying to be clever. And I said to the Lord, Lord, if uh, these people cannot see me, I will raise my hands. Because I said, I'll never raise my hands because everybody's watching me. Even in the back of the church while everybody was facing forward, I would be afraid that everybody was watching me. And uh, <laughs> I remember I said to the Lord, Lord, if these people cannot see me, I lift my hands. At that moment, there was a power failure in Oatshorn. When there's a power failure in Oatshorn, it's dark. I was so petrified, my hands shot up. <laughs> a while later, the lights went on and I was standing with my hands in the air. And, and the people looking at Jan, what happened? I said, and I testified, I said, I said to the Lord that if you guys can't see me, I will lift my hands. And they all rejoiced that God didn't strike them with blindness. And I want to tell you in those, in those moments and in those months and in the first year, there was this incredible, incredible hunger. I just, it's difficult to describe. It's, it's difficult to put into words. There was just nothing else that I wanted to do but read my Bible, pray, worship. That's all I wanted to do. I want to go to church. I mean, I wish they had more meetings. I still enjoyed my work. I, I was still doing well in my work, but there was nothing else that really satisfied me but Jesus. And supernaturally, I don't know why, because I didn't really have a church history for about 11 years. I had, uh, when I left school and when I got saved at 29, I, I only went to church when there was a funeral and when there was a wedding, and only if the wedding wasn't over rugby time, because then... I mean, you skip the church service and go to the, and go to the party. So, but I just had a supernatural love for the church of God. The people that I, that I had so much problems with, the people that I thought were certifiably crazy, I all of a sudden fell in love with them. And I'm telling you this story because I, Paul speaks about in Galatians, he says to them that, you started in the spirit, but you ended in the flesh. And I wish I could tell you that there was a trajectory that it just went better and better and better. And I just became more and more hungry. But there was a time where 
I went to Bible school, and I'm not saying Bible school is bad. We ran a Bible school Timothy ministry team for over 10 years. I do really believe in the study of the word. I believe um, I'm not horrified by the word theology. I love it. (laughs) Um, I went to Bible school and fell more in love with the word, but to a point that I became so preoccupied with the Greek and the Hebrew and so reading so many commentaries that in the end I, and we were in a great church. It wasn't like we were in a church where there wasn't, the, the Spirit of God wasn't moving, but I, I fell so in love with the topic or the object of the Bible and not the living word, and I became quite pharisaical, and I, so I searched the scriptures. I, I mean, there was everything, and I searched the scriptures, but in them, gradually I stopped finding Jesus. And I became more and more critical, especially to the work of the Holy Spirit, which was quite crazy if you think about it, because that's how God saved me. And I became not only in my own mind critical of the things of the Spirit, but even vocally and even when I was, when we planted a church, how I would, I would be very outspoken and publicly outspoken about the work of the Holy Spirit. And people that flowed in the Holy Spirit. And I, and I really thought that I was a gift uh, to the body of Christ. And I was, I was quite, I became very good at fault finding. Until one day I was, I was sitting and I was watching Benny Hinn and I, and I didn't like his hairstyle and I didn't like his shoes and I didn't like his jacket waving. And I sat there with such a critical spirit. And the next moment the Lord said to me, he says, Jan, as soon as you've reached so many people for me, you can have an opinion on that man again. And who are you to accuse my servant, my, my servant to me? And then the Lord started with me with a process and he, he asked me, because at that stage, I, I think the Trinity for me was Father, Son and Holy Scriptures. And tragically, I lost a vital relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I'm so grateful to God that He, that He was merciful and that He was gracious. And He used a couple of events to, to stir once again, to, to point me again to the work of the Holy Spirit that reveals Christ, that shows us the Father. And, I thank God that He, that He stirred in me a hunger through, through a couple of events and one of them was a, a sort of a revival and awakening at least in the church in Wellington where we saw a great amount of young people especially come into the kingdom and, and, uh, through the ministry of, of Timothy ministry team, especially in the Paul Wellington Valley, there were a lot of young people that got, came to salvation. Many of them, uh, uh, Wagner Joubert is leading a church in Secunda and Alistair, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that came out of that awakening. And then, and then Lakeland happened and before you get your hair up, uh, I want to tell you that the Lord through the Lakeland outpouring, despite the stuff that happened there, uh, the Lord laid in our heart that we as a leadership team should go to Lakeland and, uh, my first response was, why should I go to America? God Can't God come here? 
You know, why should I go there? And should we, should we run after the anointing? And, uh, and you know, the Lord was so gracious. He just asked me, so, so he said, so if I'm there, am I hearing you right that, that you want to prescribe to me that I should come here? If I'm there, don't you think that you should go there? <laughs> would you go wherever I am? <laughs> or would you be so arrogant as to say, well, if you can do it here, just bring it here, God. I don't need to go. And I realized that as I started reading revival history, how transferable that is. So we went, and and before we went, I don't know how many of you know the Lakeland Outpouring, and Todd Bentley and the whole bad stuff that happened around that. And uh, before we went, the Lord asked me, Jan, if you would get to Lakeland and Todd Bentley is not there, would you be offended? I said, God, I'm not going for Todd Bentley. I don't particularly like the guy. He shakes his head and everything, and he's got a lot of tattoos. Not that I have any problems with tattoos, but, you know, he's not my kind of guy. So I'm going because I, th- I sense that you're doing something there. And so, and then the Lord said, okay, and uh, if he would fall morally, would you still believe that I was doing something there? I said, well, that's strange, God, but okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go. And uh, we got there the Saturday. He wasn't there. For the time that we were there, Todd Bendy wasn't there. And uh, just after that, he fell morally. And we came back. And people asked me, Jan, what did you bring back from Lakeland? Did you bring back what kind of anointing? I said, you know, I don't know about anointing, but what I certainly brought back is that I saw thousands and thousands of people that were extremely hungry for God. I saw people that spent thousands and thousands of rand or dollars or whatever they were spending, euros, to get to a place where they thought God was moving. And I saw people that were queuing from 3 o'clock in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock service. I saw them queuing. I saw them queuing in the rain. I saw them queuing in the sunshine. And while they were queuing, they were praying for one another. And while they were queuing, they were testifying for towards one another how they got there. As they were standing in the queue, the people were worshipping. The people were ministering. They, these people, they couldn't care less who preached. They were there because there was a hunger for more of God. And when I say a hunger for more of God, it's not from a place of we need more of God in the sense that God's not doing enough. It's like we've really seen God and therefore we know that there is more. Because God is unending and God is eternal. And so by 6 o'clock they would open, 5 o'clock they would open the tent flaps and the people would rush in and the people, the band would be there and the band would be doing a sound check and the people would start worshipping with a sound check. Afterwards, the band would say, okay, guys, we're going to take a break. We're going to start. And before they could say a prayer meeting, the people would spontaneously, without a prayer leader, start praying and praying and praying. By the time 7 o'clock came and the band was on stage, I want to tell you when Roy Fields hit that first note, I mean, anything was possible, not because of them, but because of the hunger of the people of God. They were there because they knew what they were having with God is great. And they knew that there was more. So people ask me, so Jan, why doesn't God do that in South Africa? I said, well, just imagine before a Sunday meeting that instead of rocking up at 9 o'clock or quarter past 9, that people would start queuing at 6 o'clock, start testifying what the Lord has done this week, 
Start praying for one another. Start ministering to one another. Start praying for one another for healing. Start ministering to one another. And when the band is busy with a setup, the people come in. Nobody's got to charge them up. Nobody's got to tell them, listen, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Everybody's already fixed on Jesus. And people start worshipping. And there's no, you know, it's like the, the pre, the pre-meeting prayer meeting isn't the chosen frozen, the four, five, Die-hard intercessors, but it's the whole of the congregation. Crying out to God, not for a man, not for a man's anointing, but for more of the Holy Spirit. Not more supernatural experiences, but more of the Holy Spirit. What would happen if that kind of expectation would be part of our lifestyle? I think our meetings would look different. I think our meetings will look different and... And so please, if, if I'm saying about uh, an increased hunger or more of God, I'm not saying it from a place of, God, you need to do more because this isn't enough. Is that we come to a place of revelation and expectation and God moves and God imparts stuff into our lives and we are so overwhelmed that we see more of Him and the more we see of Him, the more we want of Him. I believe that is a sign of spiritual maturity. Some people think that a sign of spiritual maturity is you see how long you can last between infillings. You know, if you're really spiritually mature, you can last a long time between infillings of the Holy Spirit. I believe that spiritual maturity is just this. God, if you're not doing something tonight, nothing's happening. If you're not coming, if you're not enlightening, if you're not illuminating the word, if you do not move on the hearts of people, if you do not move in the hearts of men and women, then nothing is going to happen. No measure of public speaking, no measure of eloquent preaching would do it. But a power, a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. And uh, so... I pray that my testimony tonight and, and what I'm saying would, would stir a hunger in you. And I want to ask you that, you know, to, to create that we, that we can actually cultivate this hunger. And, uh, so I'm gonna just give you a couple of things that I, that I asked the Lord, Lord, how do I, how do I become hungry and, and how do I stay hungry? And I think the first time when you get hungry is it, if there's a famine, you know, famine usually gets you hungry. <laughs> but the problem with getting hungry in a famine is that while you're getting hungry, other people die. When you get hungry because of a famine, you become decimated, you become skinnier, you become, you lose power, you, your body is not built up, your body is broken down. And then I said, okay, God, so it's obvious that you don't want the church to go from famine to feeding to famine to feeding, that there will be long periods where there's, where there's little bread of life, where there's little word of God, where there's little movement of the Holy Spirit, so that we will become desperate again, which has in church history and in some denominations become a pattern. You know, we, we go from, from the heights of Pentecost, the week of Pentecost, and then we fizzle out until the next Pentecost. And then the Lord reminded me, he said, Jan, look at your son. My son is a cyclist. He's 1.83 meters tall. He weighs 77 kilograms. And he eats like a man that should weigh 150. I honestly don't know where he puts the food. 
But he eats and he eats. And then he goes and he exercises. And you, while he's eating, you think the way that you're eating, you will never in your life be hungry again. He goes out, he rides for three to four hours. He comes back and the first thing, he doesn't greet us. He says, I'm hungry. And I felt the Lord said, look at your son. He said, he eats, he exercises, and he's hungry again. He says, Jan, there's your key. If you would exercise, if you would do the gospel, if you would obey the gospel, not only be a hearer of the word, but exercise and do the gospel, that there will be a continuous hunger in your life. And you'll be able to eat a lot. And the thing about eating and exercising is if you eat and exercise, you become stronger. You burn fat. You build muscle. If you eat and don't exercise, we don't have to tell you what happens. The amount of diets and eating plans that are out there is evidence that we know. And I felt the Lord said to me, Jan, this is a key. If you want to stay hungry, stay involved. Do the word of God. Do the word of God. You'll become strong and you'll stay hungry. You'll stay hungry for more of God because the more you see of God, the more you realize because of who he is, there is much more than we can ever experience. And therefore, we need, we need to exercise. We can also stimulate spiritual hunger by declaring that we really need God. By declaring that without God and without the work of the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to happen. I'll become a Pharisee again. We need to, we need that spiritual sustenance. And we need to ask. We need to ask. The Word of God says in Luke chapter 11 verse 13, I think it's, that'll, we'll get that, that scripture we'll get on the board tonight. Okay. And He said to them, which of you, and this is just after Jesus as the disciples asked Him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And He teaches them or He recites a prayer that we now call the Lord's Prayer, which I actually thought would be the disciples' prayer. And He said to them, He talks about the prayer, but then a lot of people stop there just after the Lord's Prayer. And But we need to read on because now Jesus not only goes to what they should pray, but also with a motivation what is the heart with which they must pray? And he says, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, would instead of fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, compared to the heavenly father, know how to give good gifts to children, how much more 
will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. You want more of the Holy Spirit? Ask. Ask. This is an attitude that, because what does asking mean? It means, God, I realize I need this. I am dependent on this. I'm just not, I'm not asking you for this as a nicety. The Holy Spirit isn't the little add-on that really helps charismatic people. He is the one that reveals Christ. He is the one that leads us into truth that sets us free. He is the one that illuminates the word. He is the one that is the one that shows us Jesus at the moment. So I want to ask, I want to encourage you. One of the things that you can do is ask. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. It also says in James chapter 3, we do not receive because we do not ask and we do not also receive because we ask with the wrong motives. Because when we want to spend what we get on our own desires, on our own lust, we want to, we want to show, we want to have more of the Spirit for our sake and for our own desires and our own, uh, our own desires and ambitions for ministry maybe. So it's important that we If we ask with the right attitude, if it's from a place of love to always bless other people, that we are being blessed for the sake of other people, to minister to other people, to show and express the love of God, I want to say to you that there's no reason why the Father will not give it to you. Just quickly, so we can ask, we can, what really helps me, I, I love reading about revivals. I love reading about men and women that said, God, thank you for what you are doing and I'm trusting you for more. I'm trusting you for more. Women that would pray, crippled and blind women that would pray for the Hebrides revival in Scotland for 30 years. I love reading stories. I love reading stories about Rhys Howells that was an intercessor that prayed incessantly. He makes me feel like a wimp. When I read the book, but I need that because it stirs a hunger. Because I say, God, if you can do it through them, you can do it through us. I love reading. I I love fellowshipping with the hungry. (laughs) If you want to get hungry, who of you, I mean, who of you know foodies? You know what foodies are? How is it that you talk with a foodie like five minutes and you just eat and then all of a sudden, I must eat now. If you want to become more hungry for more of the Holy Spirit and more of the presence of God and more of God, I want to say fellowship with the hungry. They do something, they stir something in your heart and sometimes I must admit they irritate you. But move past your irritation. Move past the conviction that their lives have upon you Move past your preference of what they look like and what they say and fellowship with the hungry. As I said, exercise the word. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says this, Do not get drunk with wine in which is debauchery, but rather be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You want more of God? There's your key. More of the Holy Spirit. Because it is possible And I know this is shocking. It is possible for people that started in the spirit to end up in the flesh. And nobody plans it. Nobody plans it. You either drift or you get distracted 
or something moves you away from that. And I want to encourage us all is that we need to trust God and fight for that hunger. Ask continually. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says, if we sow to the Spirit, God will not be mocked for whatever a man sows will he reap. And he says, if you sow to your own flesh, you will from your own flesh reap destruction or corruption. And then he says, but if you sow to the Spirit, if you sow to the Spirit, you will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What is eternal life according to the Bible? To know Jesus. <laughs> to know Christ more clearly. And to know the one who sent him, the Father. I want to say to you, asking more of God from a place, God, I know I'm dependent on more of you. It's not an affront to God. I believe it's part of our worship. I believe it's part of recognizing who God is. And even if he does amazing things, and even if he does and has done amazing things, I want to say to you that God can and will do more because he promises that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And I know Shofar Movement, and I know the church that we come from, we've had great moves, and we've had incredible workings of God, and we are so, so thankful for that, and we honor that. But we must be careful that our good past doesn't rob us of a great future. And if God does more in the future, we should rejoice. And the people that experience more before should rejoice that there's more. So, I want to make sure that you understand that when I say I want more of God, it's not from a place that says God not doing enough. In fact, I'm seeing God doing stuff. I'm so, so excited. I'm so excited to see what God is doing in his church, in the chauffeur movement, in the church in general. I've just seen a huge work of unity in our valley with eight to nine churches sharing pulpits, different streams, different denominations, different movements, men and women of God really coming together And that can only be a work of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? I want more of that. I've had seasons where I've had lots of the presence of God. And I've had seasons that has been dry. And I must say, having more of God is better. (laughs) Having more of God a greater understanding, a greater revelation, a greater worship, a greater reverence, a greater fear because I see him for who he is. And when he comes, when we least expect it or least deserve it, and he comes anyway, because even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And we realize, man, this is not something that God is doing because we did something right. We didn't actually, we we did something, but... He just came because he saw hunger. He saw a people that weren't perfect, but a people that said, God, we want more of you. So I don't know where you are with God tonight, but here's the good news. There's always more. So even if you are one of these people that have been caught up in the third heaven, in the body or out of the body, you do not know, 
and saw things through marvelous for words, I want to say to you that I think there's more. If you are dry as a bone and you think that there's no life, I want to encourage you tonight, there's more. There's more for everyone. And all that God says, do you desire me? You know, that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit gifts. He says, desire earnestly the gifts. This is the thing about desire. I think sometimes our Afrikaner mentality is, uh, oh, you know, we, we already have a little bit. We don't want. There are many other people that need it more. Who of you, student prayer lines, is there anyone that wants more of God? Oh, you know, I think that brother needs it more. <laughs> really? God doesn't decrease when he gives. He's eternal. He's without beginning. He's without end. He has more than enough for everyone. He'll start giving now and never exhaust the end of his ability to reveal more of himself and bring us to a place that we are totally overwhelmed with God. And I want to say, when you're totally overwhelmed with God, we say like Paul, your commandments are not burdensome to me, God. It's really easy to serve God when you're full of the Spirit. It's really difficult to serve God if you're full of yourself. I want to say to you that any time that I'm more full of the Holy Spirit than full of Yan, it's a good day for my wife. It's a good day for anybody around me. It's a better day for me. So my heart, my encouragement to you tonight is, do you have a desire for more? Can't do it for you. Can't desire it for you. But I pray that the sharing of the word and this just sharing of my testimony is that I wasn't the man that really was hungry for more until I encountered God face to face. And now I don't want anything else. Now I don't want anything else. Now I can distinctly distinguish when I have more of God and when I don't. So for every one of you, if you're in a good place or a bad place, there's more. No one's forcing it on you. God's looking for hungry people. But, oh, when God sees hungry people, Jesus looked upon the crowd and he saw what? They were hungry. And what does the word say? And he was unwilling to leave them hungry. Jesus is unwilling when he sees that you are hungry. He is unwilling to leave you hungry. In other words, he would move heaven and earth. He would do miracles and signs and wonders to see that you are fed. To see that you are satisfied. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of the Father. Towards every single one of you. He didn't just feed the ones that really had a lot of faith. He fed a crowd. And there's something in the corporate, when there's a corporate hunger and the Holy Spirit is poured out corporately, that is, that is a little bit different. 
than when he does it individually. My desire is, and I'm so so encouraged to hear last Sunday evening when the Holy Spirit was just moving. And I mean, it's great that we lay hands upon one another and it's great, but you know, it's even greater when, when we take our hands off and the Holy Spirit just comes and he does what he, only he can do. What only he can do. Amen. Is there anybody of you that want more of God? If you can just, we are, we are so well mannered here in South Africa. And some of you are sitting like, I want it, but I'm not putting up my hand. <laughs> I believe that God, you know what, what really strikes me about outpourings like Brownsville is you watch some of the footage. I mean, the guy's preaching, they're busy singing an old song that, that seems to you is so old and there's nothing in the next moment. People are running. <laughs> they're jumping over seats. They, they have no manners. They have absolutely no manners. They have only hunger. (laughs) And they don't care. They don't care how they're going to get it. They're just going to get it. (laughs) And I think that's a sign of hunger. People ask me, Jan, but uh, I went to Lakeland. I said to the Lord, I'll go to Lakeland, but I'm not shaking my head. I'm not shaking my head. I get headaches when I shake my head. First evening, Now, some people might be worried I was not filled with the Kundalini spirit. I really ask God for the Holy Spirit. And he's my dad. So I ask him for bread. He'll not give me a stone. I put my faith in my father. Some of you needed to hear that. Do we really trust God when we ask God that God's going to give us for what we ask for? And we're not asking him for riches or fame. We're asking him for more of his presence, more of the Holy Spirit. Do you think that he'll drop some crazy spirit on you if that's your desire? Who is the stronger one? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.